The content of this podcast is provided as general informational purposes only. It is not intended for, nor should it be used to replace professional behavior intervention and advice. This is Sissy. And this is Susan. And we are Function Junction. Behavior Matters. What are we going to talk about today, Sissy? Ooh, I have a fun story about a little girl that I worked with. You know, we've talked about the fact that we're behavior analysts, you're a doctoral level behavior analyst. And I also have done some study with Division Teach at the University of North Carolina. And there you are like a master trainer in that, aren't you? (laughs) It's not called a master trainer. It's called (laughs) an advanced consultant level (laughs) certification. I mean, they have certification that you can get. And I've, you know, always loved that approach for working with kids on the spectrum. I believe in Texas, there are just three of us that are both behavior, I mean, BCBAs and have the advanced consultant level certification from Division Teach. So Sissy, you know, you've, you've done a really nice job of helping me understand structured teaching and how ABA really fits in well with structured teaching. I remember back in the day, you know, it used to be teach soldiers and um, ABA warriors, and it was like two different camps and never the twain will meet. And now, you know, we've really realized over the years that they complement each other so beautifully. And I guess a really simplistic way of saying it is that, you know, structured teaching or the teach model really sets up the environment and ABA includes principles and procedures that we use within that environment. But, you know, setting up an environment so that for success is really an antecedent modification. So they really do complement each other really well. But anyway, I digress. Yeah, I would say that as we talk about it and, and over the time, as we do podcasts, we'll probably be able to show how, it's spoken about this concept is spoken about this way in ABA and it's spoken about this way in teach. And yes, you and I have been in this long enough to know you were either in one camp or the other. And it's so beautiful to see that so many people who are, you know, providing ABA therapy are understanding teach concepts and wrapping them in. And so many people who are using teach in their classroom also understand how they're using uh, concepts of ABA. And I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm working with an individual, I will say, you're using ABA. Let me show you that when you do this, this and this, those are the concepts. I don't know if that happens for you, but it happens for me. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. So I wanted to tell a story. We I used to be a part of a team. There was a team in Texas that would go into districts and provide the five day hands on teach training. That team doesn't. Mm -hmm exist anymore. Teach doesn't certify teams outside of University of North Carolina anymore, but we had tons of fun when that was something that we did. We would show up at a district never having seen the students before. The lead teacher and the director would have gone and from a pool of kids picked five kids that represented a variety of skill levels and needs so that we could demonstrate that. And we would show up on Saturday, (laughs) read information about the students, talk to the people that were there that might know something about them and begin to try to structure up an environment, try to pull together some work, get communication systems ready. And then the children would show up on Monday and we'd try them out. So, you know, (laughs) we wouldn't know these kids at all, but we would do our best to be ready for them. And it was 
Excellent. Teachers loved getting to work with the kids and the kids are the best teachers of all because you think you know what to do, oh, for sure. For but sure. kids will show you, yeah, you know, whether you do know what to do. So fun. So we show up, I'm working with a little girl who was either preschool or kindergarten level. I'm not sure which they said, she's not going to be able to work with two hands because she carries a sippy cup with her all of the time. We actually have not been able to get her to work. So we're hoping that you can help us figure out what to do to help her work. And so that happens to me so many times that I will be, I'll have a student who carries around a sippy cup or carries around a stuffed animal or carries around tiny little things in their hands. I don't know how that happens to me, but obviously that happens to other teachers too, where a student comes to school, they can't let go of things and it's really hard to get them to work. Yeah. Relinquishing is a tough one. And then what ends up happening is we just don't, you know, I was thinking about kids who don't like to relinquish the computer. So they just take computer out of the equation and then they have no reinforcer opportunities for him or the, you know, the, for the student when, and if he does comply with something. So it's a big deal. Yes. I've, I've seen some catastrophes over, let's just take the computer out of the room, you know? So the other, one of the premises of teach is it's not that you're not going to be hands-on with the kids. You are, but we don't want to physically manage kids about things. We want the environment to speak to the students. We want the materials to speak to the students. So I could have wrestled that sippy cup out of her hand every day. I could have stuffed it back in her backpack or called the mother and said, please don't send a sippy cup. But I'll tell you what happened to us about a student who had a stuffed animal that he came with every day. His mother said, um, he can come to school with a stuffed animal or he's not going to make it to school. I cannot get him on the bus without that stuffed animal. And I, school is important to me. So he's, I need him to come with a stuffed animal. So we had to figure it out. And I think it's reasonable to think down the road, we're going to figure out a way that he's not going to bring that to school with him. But right now I want him at school so I can figure it out. So my little girl that I had her sippy cup, they said she couldn't work very much, very short attention span, all those kinds of things. So we created a very structured environment for her to do her work, facing the wall, uh, bookshelves on either side. And so when she would sit in her work area, the world would go away and she would be able to focus. So now then I have to figure out what am I going to do about that sippy cup? Right. What I did was I created a cup holder for her to be able to put her sippy cup in. I love that. And she could leave it there, get her work done. And when her work was done, as she's leaving her work area, just pick up her sippy cup. Sure, it took a couple of times for her to understand, I'm not taking your sippy cup away. This is where your sippy cup waits. And of course, you know, she's a child on the spectrum. She didn't have enough language to really have that conversation, but I could show her that by making sure I had highly engaging activities for her to do things. If she like Disney princesses, that first task for her to do had Disney princesses in it. So she's highly motivated to look at that work and much more likely to put the sippy cup down in the cup holder and do her work. And by Tuesday, she was definitely putting the sippy cup down, 
every time she went over to her work area, got getting her work done, putting it over to finish and uh, getting her sippy cup as she left her work area to go do the next thing. I love that idea. I do that a lot with kids who, you know, come to school with odd item, like a superhero doll or, you know, whatever they have to, they, they can't, they won't relinquish it. And so we'll just tell it, we'll just make it a little home and we'll tell them to put it in their home and we'll create like a clear plastic shoebox so they can still see it, but it's within sight, but out of reach. Yeah. I think just by taking it away, you're just eliciting another tantrum when we just kind of make a compromise on things like that. Yeah. I'm not going to take it away, but it's just going to wait here. You know, the little stuffed doll, similar to what you talked about, we would, we just made a little bed and it would take a nap while we were working and then it would be able to get up out of the nap. I had a little girl that carried small erasers around in her hand and I just put a little container and she would drop the erasers in there, do her work, pick the erasers up as she finished. It was great to be able to have her focus and do her work and then get to have her sippy cup. Again, you don't want to get into a fight with kids if you don't have to. Right, exactly. If the very first thing you do when a kid gets at school is wrestle with them over a sippy cup. <laughs> that sets the day up real nice. <laughs> yeah, I like you a lot, lady. You're <laughs> wrenching my sippy cup out of my hand. No, we're not going to do that. We're going to find a way to help you uh, be able to relinquish the sippy cup. Well, and I think, you know, it kind of lends itself, that story lends itself to a story I was kind of telling you about earlier with regard to a student who was very unhappy or he appeared very unhappy. The staff were trying to make work demands and he would throw in the materials and, you know, tear the materials and scream and cry. And he really wasn't able to really sit. And so we backed up and worked on sitting and then showing me what he wants. So he wanted a book. I gave him a picture for book. He hands me the picture for book. He's a happy kid. And so we talked about, you know, with the staff about establishing a rapport before you start placing demands on a kid, right? And that's really what you did with the little girl, Autumn, is you became kind of a safe person for her because she knew she was still going to have her sippy cup and that was her safety item. And so I think, you know, a lot of times in classrooms, sometimes we have to back up and teach some prerequisite skills like sitting in a chair, following one step directions, you know, before we start placing demands on the kid. He's a smart kid. He can do the demands, but if he doesn't want to work with you, then he's not going to do, but he, he's got some pretty cool skills. And so, you know, we just let, again, spent a lot of time working with the staff on just establishing rapport and getting him to like you <laughs> so that he will be able to do some work. So I love the Sippy Cup story. Behavior is communication, you know, and if you don't have other forms of communication, you're going to rely on behavior. Yeah, If you can inch into their world, if you can become a part of what's important to them, they're more likely to find a way to communicate with you that doesn't involve negative behaviors that are going to, you know, Yeah, he was really cute. You know, I was like, okay, do you want this book? And he would like shake his head really strong. And I'd say, and we all thought he was somewhat, you know, no, no to low verbal skills. And I would say, okay. And I'd sign and say book. And he would try to say it, but he'd sign it. And, you know, and he was trying to say book, please. It was like so cool just to see 
him be successful in a classroom where he spent most of the day screaming and crying. Yeah. Yeah. It was so nice to see this young lady be able to come to school, show people what she knew. She knew a whole lot more than anybody realized because up to that point, she hadn't hadn't worked much at all. And if she did, it was only with one hand. She found out, oh, wow, work can be a lot of fun. As happens with a lot of our, our kiddos on the spectrum, work becomes their play. And play becomes work when you think about the fact that socialization is involved in, in play. And that's a story for another time, a great story about work is play and play is work with a student. By the end of that week, she had a whole bunch of tasks that were on, working on skills that were important to her that she was going to be able to take on to the next school year. Uh, her teacher was going to come get them and be able to, you know, so she could start her year showing people, I have skills. I know what, you know, I, I, you can teach, what, what are you going to teach me next? Just over being able to put the sippy cup down and look at her work. We do have the question similar to what you might see on the BCBA exam. I have a quick question before we do the question. <laughs> How did the teachers respond? Were they okay with the sippy cup holder or were they like, no, she shouldn't have the sippy cup ever? That's a really good point. They were very receptive to it, but you know, that is sometimes what we'll face is people who say, no, she's not, she shouldn't have a cup holder on her desk. Nobody else has a cup holder on their desk. Well, nobody else can't let go of their sippy cup and focus <laughs> on their schoolwork. You know, so it's, yeah, the, the man over there who needs crutches, are you going to take his crutches away because nobody else has crutches? Right, right, right. We have those conversations a lot yeah. about, well, if he, she has one, then everybody's going to want one. No, not really. It's never the kids who resist ideas. It's usually the adults in my experience that. Right. You want to say, well, then put a cup holder on everybody's desk. Well, everybody doesn't need a, a cup holder because they don't bring a cup. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was in a classroom the other day in a, in a pretty small community and, um, they have a lot of placement issues that we're working through in terms of too restrictive and things like that. But there was a little one, a little bitty little girl, I can't remember her name, but she was tea tiny and she was in kindergarten and they were going to put her in a self-contained program because she didn't know how to paste or cut or her letters or anything. And I said, so, okay, let's, let's look at her history. She was identified as having autism in the fall of 2019, that district, which is another district, recommended a self-contained program. She never stepped foot in the self-contained program because of COVID. Then she comes back to school here in this district in December and it's February, 2021. So she's had about three months of instruction in her, you know, her life. Do you think that maybe we should maybe give her some more time in gen ed? And I said, gosh, you know, if it were me, and, it, and it, I was her parent, I would ask for her to be retained because she's itty bitty and she hasn't had any exposure to instruction that's, you know, been anything worthy. And they looked at me and I said, you know, I just, I'm just thinking outside the box. I'm not the IEP team. You can do whatever. And they go, the principal literally said, but we don't do that here and started laughing. And I thought, you know, this is great. This is great. I'm helping people think outside the box about individual kids instead of just having these blanket yeah. 
rules or goal or whatever you want to call them and not, you know, making individualized decisions. And so that kind of goes back to, to the sippy cup holder. It's all about the individual. It is about the individual. And, you know, the retention thing for, for principals, that's, they know what the data say about retention and how it affects gen ed kids. For a child who is a preschooler or even a kindergartner with special needs, that's probably the time for us to think about would we retain them or not? And yeah, thinking outside the box and let's look at this child and what this child's needs are. Luckily for us, the staff, you know, what the people that were there helping us during the training were the people that helped in lots of different schools. They were excited about the possibility of seeing her be able to work they were very receptive to the cup. It's one of those things where you just kind of hit your head and go, wow, why didn't I think of that? And it's because, you know, sometimes you need an extra person coming in and saying, hmm, what about this? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's what I tell teachers all the time. You didn't think of this because you're in the trenches every day. I'm a fresh set of eyes who does never even met this kiddo, you know, because they do. They sometimes go, oh my gosh, I can't believe I didn't think of that. Well, you're, that, that's what people like you to see you and I are for is to have that fresh set of eyes that's not exhausted, worried about getting sick, worrying about my mask, worrying about the kids' masks. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Planning for all the children in your classroom, planning for the potential of having to go virtual with some or all of them. I mean, what, what teachers are dealing with right now oh. is unprecedented. And I know that's a word they're sick of hearing. <laughs> But, you know, it really is. They I have such I've always had respect for teachers. And as you and I are former teachers, I've always had respect. But my respect level is just off the chart. Now, when I go into classrooms and see, man, I was in a classroom yesterday in a self-contained program for kids on the spectrum and other kids who have specific needs. And the teacher was just rocking it to doing virtual, doing a group activity. The paras were working individually with kids who don't participate in group activities. It was like a well-oiled machine. It was so awesome. Yeah. I just had to brag on her to her principal and to her district level boss supervisor because I I just, I, I know I couldn't do it right now. It's amazing what people are doing. It is amazing to me to watch that, you know, say somehow a kid's been exposed, but they're not actually ill. So they have to stay home and the teacher flips to being able to continue to teach her face-to-face children and then go do the virtual for the child who is at home. And you think that's a lot. Pivot. A lot. It's the word pivot. I think my word for 2020 was grace. And I think people who work in school districts, their word was pivot (laughs) because it seems like they're pivoting constantly, even into 2021. Yeah. Reminds me of that video from uh, friends when they're trying to get the couch up the stairs and he's screaming, pivot, pivot. Yes. Yes. (laughs) That's what our teachers are doing right now. That's exactly right. Well, let's go ahead and get to the question. That's a good idea. In the story today, I used a cup holder for Autumn to put her sippy cup in while she was working. The cup holder is A, a physical prompt, B, an antecedent intervention, C, an EO, or D, positive reinforcement. And think about the sippy cup helping increase the fact that she could use both hands. Right. 
Well, it's not really a physical prompt because it's not being used to bring about a correct response. So I would, if I were taking the test, I would rule that, that answer out. Yeah, but do you think some people might look at that answer and think, well, it was a physical cup there to prompt her to put the cup? <laughs> do you, you see what I'm saying is if you think about it as what we're having to deal with, if I'm a little nervous about taking the test and I'm thinking, well, it, it, it's, a, it's physical and it's prompting her to put that. But what you just said is really important. It doesn't help her get to a correct response. It's not presented at the time that she's working as a way to get her to the correct response. Right. Yeah. And a prompt is used to bring about a correct response so we can deliver reinforcement. Right. I wouldn't call it positive reinforcement because it doesn't happen after. Correct. And it's not contingent. Right. It doesn't yeah. happen after the work and it's not contingent on the work. It's just there. Right. So for me, I would say that it was setting up the environment for her to be successful, which would be in antecedent manipulation. Yeah. The antecedent intervention, antecedent manipulation, whichever way you want to think about it. Yeah, I, I definitely would. It, it is something that happens before that helps her. What do you say about an EO? Now, the EO, the establishing operation, is not appropriate either because it's not setting up, you know, it's it's not setting up a situation that would make her need or want the reinforcer in order to get to the behavior. So, no. Right. The EO right. Either. Good question, Sissy. That's a good one. It's a good, it's laid out well, kind of like the test is laid out and where, you know, there you have to really read the question and really, really read the choices <clears throat> and determine, sorry, the best one. Yeah, the, you know, you're not, some of the questions you're just gonna look at and say, oh, I know immediately what the answer is. But anytime that something is bugging you, like, is it a physical prompt? Because it's physically there and prompting her to put the cup. You remind yourself, you know, prompts happen during the instruction and get to a correct response. So it's not prompting her to do that. And it wasn't physical, not hand over hand kind of prompting either. I didn't, the cup can't come up off the desk and say, <laughs> put the cup in here. <laughs> anyway, that's silliness. Well, that was a great story. Um, Y'all, thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed our podcast uh, episode today. If you have any comments, or questions about the episode, please rate and review on the podcast app that you're using. Have a great day.